This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Today we're going to be reading in Genesis 20, verses 1 through 18, if you want to turn there with me. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in the dream in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. And in, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the, in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them, All these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done done to me things that ought not be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, "What, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, There was no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah to his wife, Sarah, his wife to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you dwell where it pleases you to Sarah. He said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome this morning to Antioch Community Church and those who are worshiping with us online. Hey, why don't you come and be with us next Sunday? We got a pew for you right there. There's a bunch of room. Right back there, there's a bunch of room. I'm just seeing a lot of spaces for you guys who are online with us. You say, what I'm in Kathmandu. That's okay. Get on a plane today. So we're not told why Abraham is on the move, right? We're not told that, but he pulls up stakes, a tent dweller, strikes camp, 
And they move south first for a while into the Negev, and then they start moving north and stop in Gerar. The ESV study Bible tells us that Abraham and Sarah are unknown to the inhabitants of this region. All right, so nobody knew them, and they were in a pagan territory. They weren't among worshipers of God. So what happens? Well, once again, Abraham falls back into old sin habits. Thank goodness none of us ever do that, right? What are our trap sins? You might call them besetting sins or, or sins that trap us. What are those? We all have them. They're different for each one of us, but let's not kid ourselves. We still have areas where we struggle. And part of maturity, and we continue to mature even until the day we die, we are being sanctified. But part of maturity is learning as soon as possible what those areas of traps, those trap sins are, so that we can recognize them and avoid them, so that our sins don't damage others, ourselves, even the gospel. Right? The stakes are high. When we fall into sin, the stakes are high. It's not just, you know, hurt myself, my reputation. No, we can hurt other people. And we can even, even damage the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Abraham is called a friend of God. He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Why? Because he's a man of faith, but he still has feet of clay, just like you and me. Well, let's look at this passage today under three main points. Then Abraham's failure... God's intervention, and Abimelech's humility. Well, as the song goes, second verse, same as the first, right? We saw Abraham and Sarah lie to the people of Egypt in chapter 12, and the ruler Pharaoh did what? He took Sarah into his house. Now we move into Gerar. Abraham and Sarah lie there as well. Abraham first, and what happens? Abimelech, the king, takes Sarah into his house, uh, presumably so that she would become part of his harem. That's what pagan kings did and had, and sometimes godly kings like Solomon, right? So you read that, and you just want to go, everybody just big sigh right here. You ready to go? You just go, come on, Abraham, really? Are we doing this again? Are you going to lie again to protect your own skin? Are you really going to do that? Have you ever had anybody say to you, when are you going to get sick enough of that sin that you finally humble yourself before the Lord and nail it to the cross and ask him to deliver you from that? Maybe you've had people say that to you. I know I have. I, and maybe you've said it to yourself. When, when are you going to realize that this is the same thing over and over, right? The test for insanity, right, was you turn the water on and you ask the guy to mop the floor. If he doesn't turn the water off before he mops the floor, there's something missing there. And so we keep doing the same things and we keep getting into the same trouble. And finally somebody gets in our face that really, really loves us and says, when are you going to stop? I'll help you. And that's what happens here in a manner of speaking. Abraham's finally going to get the message, I think, right? The bad news is sometimes it takes tragic consequences before we really do change, before God gets a hold of us and we submit. The good news is that God loves us, and he's standing with open arms, and he's ready to receive us and help us overcome whatever those trap sins are. 
Now, you notice here, Sarah is not without culpability. She also lies to Abimelech when she gets into his house. She says, oh yeah, he's my, he's my brother. We won't belabor the obvious fact that if you, anybody think about this this week? How old is Sarah? She's 90. She's 90 years old. And yet, Abraham is worried about her being so beautiful that people would kill him to take her. Boy, God's doing a great work with Sarah, isn't he? <laughs> right? This is before facelifts and all the other stuff. So she must have been quite the beauty. But look, here's the thing. Her actions speak louder than her looks. And that's true for all of us. Your actions are always going to speak louder than your looks, louder than your money, louder than your position, your status, your station in life. Your actions speak the loudest. And the children of Israel are hearing this story, and they're hearing you know, Moses read this account of what happened, and they're scratching their heads going, you know, what, what's up with Abraham? Why, why did he do it again? And yet these same children of Israel who hear this and hear how God rescued Sarah and Abraham from that will do the same things, right? I mean, when, when Lot's wife turned and looked back at Sodom and she turned into a salt lick for the deer, why, why is that in the story? Mainly so the children of Israel would say, if you look back, if you long for what was sinful and what you had where there was bondage, you will be in a bad way. And yet we see that that's the story of Israel. The whole, you know, in, in the wilderness, they're looking back. They're saying, boy, I wish we were back in Egypt, man. We had leeks and onions and sitting by the Nile. And oh, wasn't it great? Yeah, well, you were slaves. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, think of all the good stuff. We, yeah, but you were slaves. You were in bondage. Yeah, but man, we ate like kings. And that's the way we live a lot of times. We look back when we were doing the stuff that now we're ashamed of. And yet we still want to long for those days. And this time, in addition to putting Sarah in danger, Abraham, in trying to protect himself, put Sarah in danger, but he also put what in danger? The birth of the promised child. Now, some, some commentators say that, that Sarah was already pregnant, and if Abimelech had had his way, then there would have been a, que- a question as to uh, you know, who was the father, or maybe she's not pregnant, and then the question would have been there as well. We don't need to belabor that because we really don't know. But either way, Derek Kidner said this. I like. He said, "If the birth of the child of promise is ever to be fulfilled, it will owe very little to man. Morally as well as physically, it will clearly have to be achieved by the grace of God." And that's true of a lot of our lives, isn't it? That leads us to how God will. Intervene. So let's talk about God's intervention. What a mercy God showed to Abraham and Sarah. What a God of grace he is. We know that he's omniscient. We know that he's omnipresent. We know that also he's omnipotent. And we see that at work here because the God of all the universe knows exactly what's happening. And therefore the God of the universe prevents Abimelech from even touching Sarah. Forget all the rest. He doesn't even get to touch her because God, the omnipotent God, prevents that from happening. And then he tells Abimelech, Abimelech that very thing when he appears to him 
in a dream. This is going to be a continuing theme in the book of Genesis, right? God's going to appear in dreams and bring revelation. We'll see it uh, with Jacob and Joseph and others as we move forward. But here he wakes up, Abimelech, or in his dream he wakes him up to say, you're a dead man. That'd get your attention, wouldn't it? God speaks to you in dreams, says, you're a dead man. And by the way, look at what he says. Notice what God says. Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you're a dead man because this is Sarah you're messing with. He doesn't say, you're a dead man because this is Abraham and his wife you're messing with. He doesn't even say, you're a dead man because you're putting at risk the child of promise, Isaac. He simply says, you are a dead man because she belongs to another man. Because she is a man's wife. What's God doing there? He's teaching the children in the wilderness. He's teaching us that God cares about marriage. That God cares about the the marriage bed being undefiled. He cares about the sanctity of marriage. And God intervenes. He stops this man from committing adultery. God fights for his people to have good marriages, even when his people refuse to fight for that themselves. And I thought this week, would that God appear in the dreams of any man or any woman who's even contemplating the sin of adultery. He doesn't do that, does he? I mean, he, he usually doesn't appear in our dreams and say, don't do what you're thinking about doing. But we have no excuse because God has clearly spoken. Whether he speaks to us in a, in a dream or not, in our sleep, he's clearly spoken here about the sanctity of marriage. And I love this, this story because God is showing himself strong on behalf of someone who's about to mess up royally. And I love Abimelech's response to God. Remember, Abimelech is a pagan king. He doesn't know God. He's a pagan king. But he says to him, Lord, <laughs> right? That, I don't know who you are, but uh, he says, Lord, will you kill innocent people? I love this. The king of Gerar knows it's the king of kings who's speaking to him in a dream and he appeals to the righteousness of God. He says, I, I, Lord, I know you will do the right thing and I, I know you won't kill innocent people. And Lord, I, I'm, I'm innocent in this. He, he, he tells the Lord that both Abraham and Sarah told him they were brother and sister. And that he had acted in integrity and innocence. And God agrees with him in that. I know you did. But he lets him know in no uncertain terms that it was God who kept him from touching Sarah. And he says clearly, hey king, you're not going to see a second sunrise. You got one more coming. All right, you you go wake up in the morning. But you're not going to see a second sunrise unless you return this woman to her husband. And then he says, for he's a prophet. The prophet, this prophet will pray for you, Abimelech, and, and you'll get to live. Now, if you're keeping score, if you're keeping score, add this to your first mention list. Because this is the first time the word prophet is used in the Old Testament, and it refers to Abraham. The word nabi, N-A-B-I-Y, is the Hebrew word that speaks of someone who utters forth 
what they hear from God. Now, you don't think of Abraham as a prophet, do you? Because you think of prophets as people who tell nations what God's getting ready to do. Hey, Jerusalem, listen. Hey, Judah, remember. Hey, Israel, you know, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. But Abraham was a great intercessor. One of the qualities that prophets are also known for. Can you think of some great intercessors who were also called prophets in the Old Testament? Someone who stood in the gap before God to stop him from destroying even Israel. Who did that in the wilderness more than once? Moses. Moses was a prophet. He was also the lawgiver. And he interceded on behalf of the people of God. And so did Samuel. So the man who stood in the gap for his nephew, who said, God, please don't destroy Sodom if there's ten righteous. And, of course, God destroyed Sodom because there weren't. But he rescued Lot because of Abraham. Remember that that verse? God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot from Sodom. So this same man who who interceded to God with God on behalf of, of Lot is going to do the same for Abimelech. So we have to shake our heads at the same time. Thinking of Abraham in this story, we have to shake our heads and we have to raise our hands and praise to God at the same time. Think about it. Abraham has shown himself to be fearful, to be a liar in this one story, and to disregard the well-being of his closest companion on the earth, the wife of his youth. And yet he loves God, and he's left everything to follow God, and God has, has made a covenant with Abraham, and he will not break that covenant. And you know what, saints? Good news of great joy. He will not break the covenant he's made with us through the blood of Jesus. He will not break it. It's a reminder to me, as I was thinking about that this week, that all men, sorry about that, all men and women, all boys and girls whom God chooses to follow him are chosen simply because that's God's will. Not because they are wonderful people. If you're a wonderful person, stand up. Okay, please don't. Okay? Because none of us are wonderful people. We're all sinners saved by grace. We were chosen Because that's God's will. God's mercy and grace were not removed from Abraham as well just because Abraham did not trust God as he should. And when we don't trust God as we should, and that happens almost on a daily basis and probably on a daily basis for all of us, when we don't trust God as we should, he does not remove his grace. He does not remove his mercy. He loves us. One of the great messages of Gentle and Lowly, if you haven't read it, get one on your way out and please read that book. Please read Gentle and Lowly. One of the great messages that in our our sin, Jesus runs to us. He doesn't hide from us. He doesn't say, all right, get get, get that stuff cleaned up and then, then we'll talk. He runs to us like a shepherd runs to a sheep that has gotten tangled up because of his waywardness. And that's what we see here. God rescues Abraham and Sarah, and, and he, will, he will rescue us when we don't trust him. I just wrote down, it's true for Abraham, it will be true for Jacob, Moses, David, Jonah, Peter, and the list goes on. If you were here 
Friday night to see the production of David. Oh, my goodness. How many were blessed by that on Friday night? How many loved God more after that, seeing that presentation? I mean, it was so powerful because here we have a man after God's own heart, and yet he does this wicked thing with adultery and then murder. You know, and yet, and yet when he was confronted by Nathan, he repented, and God wrapped him up and loved him. And he's going to do the same for us. Honestly, even though Abraham was a child of God and Bimelech is a pagan king, it's the latter who's the more honorable in this story, right? If you had to pick one of these guys, you know, <laughs> to be a, the guy that's, that has character and honor. Now, we know Abraham's a man of God, but just looking at this story, we go, Abimelech, man, he's, he's, a, he's a good dude. You know, he made a mistake, but Abraham, you know, he's not, he's not very honorable here. So that leads us to Abimelech's humility. Humility. We see the humility in Abimelech in several ways, mostly in contrast to Abraham's fear and, and faithlessness. First, this is amazing to me, he reports his dream to his servants. He goes to the people who serve him and says, I messed up and God's called me on it. How many men or women would do that? How many leaders would do that. How many nations or nation states or people groups are led by people who are that honorable? You know, I thought about the verse in Proverbs, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. How many nations are suffering because of the leadership? Men who are not honorable, mostly men, sometimes women. Second, we see he called Abraham and asks Abraham why. Look at the questions he asks him. What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? What did you see that you did this? Now, I think God enabled Moses to put this in there verbatim for one major reason. It was to show that when, when we're getting ready to do something, we should think about the consequences of what we're getting ready to do if it affects other people. What have you done to us? Abraham, what are you getting ready to do to Gerar and to the king? Has Gerar and the king sinned against you, Abraham? Have they done something to hurt you? Because you're getting ready to hurt them. What did you see that you did this? What did you see in the people of Gerar that made you do this? Because that would have saved everybody a lot of shame and a lot of pain. Derek Kidner writes, Abraham's three questions make it clear that Abraham had only asked himself one question. What will this do for me? Stifling the reflections, what will it do to them? What do they deserve? What are the facts? Now, I'm just as guilty as the next person of acting in a way that is just, it's going to benefit me. This is how it's going to help me. So I'm going to do this because it's going to help me instead of asking those questions. What will it do to them if I do that? What do they deserve? And what are the facts of the situation? Now, look at Abraham's response. Verse 11, 
Look at verse 11 for a second. Verse 11, paraphrase, basically says, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God in this place and you and your people would kill me. Do you see the irony here? The irony is that Abraham did what he did because there wasn't enough fear of God in Abraham. Right? It's because he didn't fear God enough to protect him and his wife by telling them the truth. This is my wife, Sarah. Good to meet you, King. We'd like to stay, you know, in your local motel. Do you have room for us? We're here just for a visit. He didn't do that. You know, Abraham, if you'd believed God, his word, his promises, his power, and never, you would never trust in your own efforts to keep yourself and your family alive and safe. Then Abraham's son, look at verse 13. Abraham says something particularly telling. He's explaining to Abimelech why he did it. He says, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, Sarah, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place we come, say of me, he's my brother. Now, you see how he started that? You see that? He seems to be blaming his sin of lying on whom? God. When God caused me to leave my house where I felt safe and secure, my wife was secure, when he told me to leave my house and sent me to other places, then I had to do this. Does it, does it remind you of anything way back at the very beginning when somebody says, hey God, this woman you gave me, she gave the fruit to me, and I did eat. Right? It's the same thing. Abraham is, is trying to blame these actions indirectly on God. You know, Abimelech here makes an appeal, and Abraham makes an excuse. Abraham show, Abimelech shows humility in a third and final way, right? He gives Sarah back to Abraham, which he had to do, or God was going to kill him. But he gives him sheep, he gives him oxen, he gives him servants. He tells Abraham he can live anywhere that pleases him. He opens up the city of Gerar, the town, country of Gerar, whatever, and says, take your favorite spot, live anywhere you like. And then he tells Sarah, did you catch this? He says to Sarah, uh, and by the way, I've given your brother, irony, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver because this is a testimony to your innocence. I mean, this is an honorable guy. He, got, he does all and more that is required of him to make restitution for sin. That story ends with Abraham praying to God. God hears. He responds with grace and power. Remember, he told Abraham in chapter 12, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that comes true right here. There's, there's, there's Abraham prays, and through Abraham's intercession, God heals. It says he healed Abimelech. And then he heals his family. I didn't see where Abimelech got sick, where he was, you know, tumors started popping up on him, or he got some, some, some kind of sickness. So I'm not sure what that means. I want to believe that what it means is, Abimelech, God says, Abimelech, I'm going to heal your family through you. When you do what is right, when you lead your family in a way that's honorable, then I'm going to bless your family. And, you know, God works through authority, doesn't he? And Adam was our federal head, and so we're in sin because of Adam. But the head of the family has a particularly important position, and God will heal. A lot of times, I think, because the father, the head, yields himself to God, and then there is blessing. 
So his wife, his female slaves who were made infertile. Isn't that interesting? When Sarah was taken into Abimelech's harem, for obvious reasons, God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do to all of the women that belong to you. All of your, your wives, your slaves, etc. All those women are now barren. They are infertile. It tells us two things. God doesn't play when it comes to adultery. Second thing is that God is the God of fertility. He gives it. He withholds it. And it's God who is in charge of that. And of course we see testimonies in the Old Testament where uh, infertile women prayed. Hannah, great example, Samuel's mother. And God opened her womb and she was able to have the, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Well, what have we seen? We've seen Abraham at his best, rescuing Lot with his 300 trained servants. We've seen him, seen him at his worst. But God's working on his heart. And this story is here because it preludes, it is the introduction to a place when Abraham's going to need to trust God more than he ever has. Not just with the birth of Isaac, but with the possible sacrifice of the chosen promised son. I like what Chambers said about this. Oswald said, all through history God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He also chose and used somebodies like Abraham only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. And I think that's where God is bringing Abraham. He's, he's sharpening him. He's honing him. He's bringing him to a place of brokenness so that Abraham will not depend on his own understanding. And that's going to be necessary as we look forward. I believe it was Stephen Olford who said, you know, he, he breaks a man before he blesses him. He crushes him before he crowns him. And that's what we're seeing with Abraham. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning that you're a God of grace and a God of mercy. And that was not just for Abraham. It was for all of your people. Everyone whose name is in the Lamb's book of life, uh, you hold on to them. We don't hold on to you. We can't. We try to walk in faithfulness and we persevere. But it's only by your grace and your power and your mercy. So Lord, continue to sharpen us, continue to help us to see with clear understanding those sin traps that we fall into repeatedly so that we can come to the place where we uh, stop falling into them. And by your, by your grace, we move on and we mature uh, past that, um, that weakness. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes that possible. And as we get ready to celebrate communion, prepare our hearts for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.